Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is the Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Coming up, vaccine mandates, liberal doublespeak on individual choice, and Canadian inaction on the Afghanistan crisis. The Andrew Lawton Show starts right now. Hello and welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show, The Andrew Lawton Show, here on True North, Friday, August 20th, 2021. We are on day six of election 44, and things are not looking too much better for Justin Trudeau than they were a couple of days ago. And as I said, I think on Wednesday, he called the election. He could have chosen the perfect moment. I think he thought he was doing that. But it hasn't really been working out all that well. He's been dogged by questions about Afghanistan, by the state of the pandemic, starting to get some tricky questions about some of his candidates, like the one that True North wrote about in Calgary Nose Hill. And it got so desperate for the Liberals that they decided to reach right down into the bottom of their bag of tricks and pull out the one that they always think is going to be the Trump card. They decided to make, on day five of the campaign, Abortion Day happen. The problem with making Abortion Day happen, which is the day where you decide we're just going to throw at the Conservatives the big, mean, evil, scary, social conservative allegations, they don't really work against a pro-choice leader, which Aaron O'Toole has said time and time again he is. But that didn't stop them from trying. This tweet from liberal Carolyn Bennett, who said that O'Toole buried a promise on conscience rights of healthcare professionals in his platform to let doctors deny and prevent referral for abortion, medical assistance in dying, and care for LGBTQ Canadians. O'Toole and his team, like Leslin Lewis, are pushing extreme right policies. Now, what she's talking about there, and by the way, it's kind of amusing that she's saying it's buried in the platform because it's 160 pages. Anything conceivably is buried, but I don't think they're burying it because they're putting it in the platform. They're actually telling Canadians they want to run on these very things. But the section she's referring to is very much in the platform. Whether or not it's buried, I don't know. And it, yes, enshrines conscience rights for healthcare practitioners. Conscience protection, the platform says, we will protect the conscience rights of healthcare professionals. The challenges of dealing with COVID-19 have reminded Reminded us of the vital importance of healthcare professionals. The last thing Canada can afford to do is drive any of these professionals out of their profession. We, that's a badly worded sentence, but I think a good policy. We will also encourage faith-based and other community organizations to expand their provision of palliative and long-term care. So what the Conservatives are saying is actually fairly consistent with the law in Canada and the guidelines for healthcare practitioners in provinces across the country, which is to say, we are not going to force a doctor to uh, pull the plug on grandma. We're not going to force a doctor to perform an abortion. And when governments have talked about putting legislation to protect that in, like was the case in Alberta, the pushback has come by and large from regulators that say, well, you kind of already have that right. But I think it's important to put it on paper and say, this is what we believe, that you do not have to surrender your conscience rights or your moral beliefs just because you decide to work in healthcare. An industry that I'd say people with consciences and people with beliefs that are deeply held are probably well-suited for. But not for the liberals. 
because they don't actually support conscience rights. They don't support your right as an individual to decide what you believe and be able to fulfill those beliefs in your day-to-day life. So hence what I called abortion day, trying to make the day of the election campaign all about social issues. They threw out all the stops, that tweet from Carolyn Bennett, also this Twitter video from liberal candidate Melanie Jolie. Conservatives are saying that they're pro-choice, but they're pro-choice for doctors to limit your birth control options or a woman's right to choose. We're in 2021. I can't believe we're still having these conversations. We need to protect our rights as women. Let's mobilize ourselves. Let's make sure that we say no to conservatives. And just in case that didn't work, Justin Trudeau also extrapolated on some of the accusations he made in a previous press conference by delivering this statement. I think it's clear that there's something fundamental that Aaron O'Toole doesn't understand. Pro-choice doesn't mean the freedom of doctors to choose. It means the freedom of women to choose. (laughs) Leaders have to be unequivocal on that. And once again, Aaron O'Toole is not. And he's saying certain things to some people and it's opposite to others. That's not good enough. Rachel Aiello, CTV News. You're attacking the Conservatives today over their position on conscience rights. However, in your legislation on assisted dying, you protected doctors' freedom of choice of conscience. Uh, If the concern now is doctor referrals, why haven't you and would a Liberal government move legislation to further enshrine abortion rights? I think it's very clear that uh, the Conservatives, Conservative Party, once again, doesn't understand what pro-choice actually means. Pro-choice isn't the power for doctors to choose. It's the power for women to choose. And that is what we are going to continue to defend unequivocally. And quite frankly, the Conservatives have demonstrated time and time again that they will not. Now, I should say here, I am pro-life and I am pro-conscience rights. But even with those beliefs, I can understand that the Conservative Party in its current form is led by someone who does not want to take up social issues. His only commitment to social conservatives has been that if you are a conservative MP who believes in these things, you can vote your conscience. He's been clearly and unequivocally pro-choice, and he was, in keeping with that tradition, able to share his position without ambiguity when the Liberals started making their attacks. Their access to service, if... That is true for doctors to have a right to choose to consciously object from abortion services. Tell me what you think. Well, let me repeat again. I'm pro-choice, and we will make sure that women have the ability to make decisions with respect to their health care themselves and make sure that abortion services are available from one coast, from one ocean to the other. And what's interesting about this election is all federal leaders are pro-choice. Uh, I've been crystal clear throughout my political career. I will be crystal clear as Prime Minister. I'm here to defend the rights of all Canadians. I'm here to make sure they have a more prosperous future. And I'm I'm here to make sure we tackle the challenges facing our country post-COVID and specific issues with the inflation crisis and the housing crisis. Canada's recovery plan is the solution led by a leader who's going to bring Canadians together. This is not at all a contradiction. Um, I think it's very, very important to defend the rights of all Canadians. That's what I will do. Uh, having, making sure that women have the right to access abortion services across this country. I am pro-choice. I have a pro-choice record and that's how I will be. I, I think it's also possible to show respect for 
our nurses, our healthcare professionals, with respect particularly to the expansion of medical assistance in dying, as we're even as a federal government studying the expansion into mental health, let's find a, an appropriate and a fair balance to make sure those rights are accessed, but we can respect uh, conscience provisions as well. Now, conservatives can debate whether they agree or disagree with this position. Canadians can debate it, but there's no denying that he is not, in fact, this evil, scary, social conservative pro-lifer that the liberals are trying to accuse him of being. So because O'Toole has taken that off the table, all the liberals are able to do is say, well, no, you're actually not pro-choice. Like, he says, I'm pro-choice, and they'll be like, no, you're not. And it, it's literally a kindergarten criticism of O'Toole's policies on social issues. Maria Monsef as well has been beating the drum on this, and it just isn't working. It isn't going anywhere. And it absolutely reeks of desperation. And if you want to see just how bad it is for the liberals, take a look at this. So Jagmeet Singh was doing an interview on CBC in which he committed the unforgivable sin in left-wing politics in Canada, evidently, in which he said something not mean about Aaron O'Toole. Take a look at this. And I've been clear on my voting record. My question for you is whether or not, like, do you feel differently about Mr. O'Toole than you do about Mr. Scheer? Because you went pretty far with Mr. Scheer. You said you'd never prop up a minority government led by the Conservatives. Well, uh, on those issues in terms of a woman's right to choose and the support for the, uh, the SOGI community, the LGBTQ community, it seems like uh, Mr. O'Toole is, is in line with where Canadians are in terms of supporting people who they are, supporting women's right to choice. Uh, those are a positive signs. so those are starting points for new Democrats who wouldn't even be able to enter into a discussion with a group or a party that didn't believe in those fundamental rights of, of women, of, of people to be who they are, the LGBTQ community. So Jagmeet Singh kind of gives just a statement of fact, which is that, okay, well, Aaron O'Toole is pro-gay rights and he's pro-choice and he's not the same as some former conservative leaders have been, which means he's taken the position that is shared by those on the left. And, and that was O'Toole's position in that clip I shared a, a couple of moments ago, that all the party leaders agree with each other on this. And then the liberals decided to turn on Jagmeet Singh for being nice to Aaron O'Toole. I mean, it's actually quite hilarious. The Liberal War Room had tweeted out the LPC Press Box account, which is run by the, the Liberal campaign. Really, does Jagmeet Singh think Aaron O'Toole is in line with Canadians on women's and LGBTQ rights? O'Toole's platform commits to letting doctors deny a woman's right to choose. So now it's like they're going after the NDP because the NDP says, yeah, O'Toole's pro-choice. And, and that's the, the only thing the liberals have right now is that Aaron O'Toole is a closet pro-lifer. This guy who's never said a pro-life thing in his political career that I can find is now this like secret closet pro-lifer. So this is why I've long said you're never going to take this issue off the table entirely. They're going to keep trying. And yes, there are no doubt pro-life MPs. In fact, I'd say the majority of the Conservative caucus. I don't know about the majority of Conservative candidates, but certainly a large number of them. But the Liberal position, when their back is up against the wall, is to just make it about social issues. They tried the uh, evil, scary Stephen Harper is lurking line. That didn't work. Now it's the social conservatives are lurking line. And now it's migrating beyond that into, I uh, don't believe Aaron O'Toole when he says he's uh, pro-choice. He, he's not actually. We know what he believes better than he does. And it's interesting here that the Trudeau position 
is not even consistent with what Trudeau has in the past claimed about conscientious beliefs. This is something that came from his memoir, and I didn't read the memoir, but the Conservatives had tweeted out this excerpt, which was uh, taken up in a CBC piece some years ago, and in it, Justin Trudeau says this, My idea of freedom is that we should protect the rights of people who to believe what their conscience dictates, but fight equally hard to protect people from having the beliefs of others imposed upon them. Now, how Trudeau defends that is that being pro-choice means women have the right to choose, but doctors do not have the right to choose. So this guy, who proclaims to be a Catholic, says that you should be forced, if you're a medical practitioner, to perform a surgery that you find to be a grave sin. Now, again, I don't want to be in a society in which uh, theological beliefs form the backbone of public policy. But we're not talking about a policy here that imposes beliefs. We're talking about a policy that allows individuals to hold beliefs. And incidentally, do you really want a healthcare practitioner performing a service that they are not comfortable with or not happy with on you? Like, I wouldn't want to, you know, send a child to be circumcised by a doctor that doesn't believe in circumcision. It just seems like maybe his priorities might not be where you need them to be on something like that, where these procedures are, and in some cases, matters of life and death. So the reality is doctors should not be, and by and large, are not forced to perform services that they object to. The challenge is that these rights are, in the Liberals' view, not relevant. The Liberals have actually not done anything to move things to where they want them to be, which is uh, forcing any doctor anywhere to do whatever the government says they have to do. So if the Trudeau government actually cared about this issue as much as it says it does, they would have more of a record to show for it. But again, I'm, I'm not encouraging them, trust me. But here's the thing, and, and this is what people don't realize. You look at New Brunswick, where there have been a, a, sl a slew of stories in several years, the last several years, about abortion access being virtually nil because so few doctors are performing it. And there have been questions raised about whether women have a right to an abortion in New Brunswick and whether the province has an obligation to provide it. If the liberal government thinks this issue is that important, they have done nothing to fix that. They have done nothing to fix that, but every time there's an election, all of a sudden it's the conservatives, which have not run on a pro-life platform in years. I cannot tell you the last time the Conservative Party of Canada ran on anything pro-life in its official platform, but the liberals are the ones to bring the issue up. The liberals are the ones to bring that to the forefront of the discussion. And here's the thing. We're talking about an issue. The whole premise of it is that the right to choose, the right to choose, the right to choose. Where is that independence and individuality and right to choose? Where is the my body, my choice mentality from Justin Trudeau when it comes to vaccines? For the last week, he's been pushing further and further towards mandating vaccines in more and more areas of Canadian society. If you work for the federal government, if you work in an industry the federal government regulates, if you want to take a plane, a train, not an automobile just yet, but give it time. And Trudeau said, well, you have a choice to not get vaccinated, but you don't have a choice to do what you want if you're unvaccinated. Take a look at this clip. You deserve better. You deserve a government that's going to continue to say, get vaccinated. And you know what? If you don't want to get vaccinated, that's your choice. But don't think you can get on a plane or a train besides vaccinated people and put them at risk. 
We need to be strong in the decisions we're taking going forward, and we need to put people first, which we have always done. And I'll be honest, you know, like I do, there's lots of people out there who don't agree with that. And the reality is, that's okay. We're in a democracy. People can make themselves heard. And that's part of why we need to have this moment for people to make that choice for the future. The counter to tyranny is democracy, is elections. And that's exactly what we're putting forward because we have put Canadians at the forefront of everything we've done. And we know that's what we're going to continue to do. So I need you, all of you, to keep stepping up. We need to keep working to protect and build a better future together. And that's why I need you to continue to step up. I need you to talk to your neighbors and talk to your friends. Talk to those folks who are still wondering whether they should get vaccinated and tell them, yes, they need to keep, get vaccinated so we protect ourselves, protect our communities, and protect our kids who can't yet get vaccinated. That's what we need to do. That was from a Trudeau rally in Calgary. I use rally very loosely. There were 80 people there in their social distancing bubbles. More on that in just a moment's time. But he's saying, yeah, no, you, you have a choice. No one has to get vaccinated. But if you don't, you aren't going to be able to do certain things. This distinction is irrelevant. The idea of taking mandatory vaccine and saying that, well, we're not mandating it unless you want to do all of these things. It's a mandatory vaccine. Don't pretend you're giving Canadians a choice when you are closing off and walling off aspects of society to them because they don't go and get vaccinated. Especially when you have said this. But like I said, what do you do with someone with an allergy? What do you do with someone uh, who's immunocompromised or someone who for rel religious or uh, you know, deep convictions uh, decides that, no, they're not going to get a vaccine. We're, we're not a country what do you do? that, well, we're not a country that makes vaccination mandatory, for example, but we want to encourage everyone to get it. How do we go from, we're not a country that makes vaccination mandatory to, if you want to do anything, you've got to get vaccinated. The same thing has happened in Ontario. Doug Ford, who proclaimed on a number of occasions that he doesn't want a split society with vaccine mandates, and now all of a sudden Rick Nichols, a longtime member of provincial parliament, is out of the PC caucus because he would not get vaccinated. This is what Doug Ford said then. Right now it's optional. Uh, constitutionally, I don't think we can force every single person to take it. And I, I just don't believe in, in forcing people to take this. Uh, what I do believe in encouraging every, everyone, everyone possible out there to get a vaccination uh, shot. It's going to protect uh, the, all of us, but it's also going to get the economy moving uh, forward. It's going to protect our healthcare system. It's going to protect our education system. So I highly, highly recommend that people uh, uh, take the vaccine. I'll, I'll pass it to the Minister of Health. And here's what he says now. It is my expectation that every PC caucus member and candidate not only support the role vaccines play in the fight against COVID-19, but also be vaccinated to protect themselves and the people in their community. And I know the liberty purists out there, of which I count myself a member, by the way, would say, well, he's not saying Rick has to be vaccinated. He's saying Rick has to be vaccinated to stay in the PC caucus. 
And my comment to that is the same as it is to Justin Trudeau, sure. Technically, no one is holding Rick down, handcuffing him, tying him up to a chair, and forcing the needle in his arm. But again, when you start walling off aspects of society, closing off opportunities, hinging a political career to vaccination status instead of allowing the voters to decide if that's something that matters to them, you are making vaccines mandatory. You are saying that people who are unvaccinated do not have a place in civil society. And that is shameful. It's shameful and it's wrong and it's hypocritical from all of these leaders who for months and months and months have been decrying that very idea, saying, no, we're never going to mandate vaccines. We're just going to tell people to get vaccinated. We're going to encourage it. Well, it was all a sham. The encouragement only lasted up until the point that there were a few holdouts that were proving inconvenient, and then all of a sudden it is, well, you're out of caucus, you're out of this, you can't go on a plane, you can't go on a train, you can't go to a concert. And it's all theater. It is all theater. Just take a look at this mandate coming down the pipe in October if the Liberals get reelected to mandate vaccination for air and rail travel. Justin Trudeau says, yeah, you don't have to get vaccinated, but if you want to travel and sit beside someone who is vaccinated, you have to be. Well, what's the point? And, and by the way, let me just follow this through. I'm not a fan of the mandate, clearly. But let's say that it is as perfect as the government says it is. It's necessary, and it is the key to normalcy, to make sure that 100% of transit passengers are vaccinated. Well, why not lift the mask mandate on planes? Why not allow those traveling by air to travel as though it is January of 2020? To go back in time a couple of years, sit down, unmask, do what they want, have full cabin service. Why is that not coming back? Because they're not actually doing something that is science-based. They are throwing things at the wall, seeing whatever's going to stick, and finding, and this is the most terrifying part, finding that this is a winnable position. It is no surprise that the Liberals launched this in the lead-in to this election. Because they think that if you start polling Canadians, you're going to find more people, not just Liberal partisans, but independent voters, undecided voters, average citizens, who clearly, they believe, support mandatory vaccination. And if you are one of those people, I want you to take a look in the mirror and ask yourself how you rationalize this. Don't, don't talk about it in a case-specific way. Yes, COVID's real, COVID's a threat. I get it. But in general terms, what happens when a flu shot comes along that you're not a fan of? What happens when some other medical treatment comes along? What happens if we start telling people who are HIV positive, people who have other diseases, oh, wait, no, you, you can't come here. You can't go here. You need to be on this drug. You need to be on this treatment. And all of a sudden, not just mandating it, but opening up the discussion of making all of this information everyone's business. Remember, the vaccine passport idea isn't just wrong because you're requiring people to be vaccinated. It's wrong because now all of a sudden you have to tell your neighborhood barista, the gym check-in guy, the guy who's taking your ticket at the concert, the lady who's serving you or seating you at a restaurant, you have to tell all of them this decision that you have made. Why on earth is that something we would celebrate? And it's dangerous if the liberal calculation is correct. It's dangerous if this is actually a winning position in Canada. If you or people you know are on that team, and let me say for the millionth time, 
I am pro-vaccine. I am vaccinated, and I know some of you don't like that. I don't care. I made a decision, and I am defending tooth and nail your right to make a decision that is right for you. But we now have a political class, left and right, that does not want to stand up for that freedom, that does not want to stand up for that right. Even look, even look at, by the way, Aaron O'Toole's response to the vaccine mandate in the public service. His response to this isn't, no, vaccine mandates are wrong. We're not going to do it. It's, okay, hang on. We're, we're going to say, if you're vaccinated, that's fine. If you're not, you have to do daily rapid tests, and we need to guarantee that you're safe that way. So, so the, the Overton window has moved so far to this point that we're actually just debating between which, which vaccine mandate is better than the other, which vaccine mandate gives just a little bit more latitude than all the other ones do. That's basically what we're debating here. It's not our vaccine mandates right or wrong. It's okay, how far do we want to go with what is effectively a mandatory vaccination policy? And mark my words, when a society hands over surrenders any right to independence, any right to individual choice, any right to personal freedom, it is never coming back. You're tuned in to The Andrew Lawton Show. Welcome back to The Andrew Lawton Show. I mentioned in the previous segment, Justin Trudeau had that rally of 80 people in Calgary, which, to be honest, I, I've got to give credit where it's due here. Justin Trudeau finding 80 people in the province of Alberta that wanted to hear him and not heckle him, I think, is a big victory. So, uh, you know, he could quadruple his vote in no time, if that's the uh, the trend that he keeps up on. He was very excited about it. He had uh, tweeted out, what a night, Calgary, your energy was incredible. Let's carry it forward. And on September 20th, let's move hashtag forward for everyone. So uh, he's going on. He might even have 90 people at his next rally. Now, I will be a little bit kind to him on this because they capped it at 80. Now, maybe they capped it at 80 because they knew there weren't going to be more than 80 people. But they had those, like, ridiculous social distancing bubbles at this outdoor event. They had a capacity limit. But here's the thing. It's very interesting that, as I reported a couple of days ago, Justin Trudeau's very first campaign event was a rally in Coburg, Ontario. Now, Ontario has still on the books a number of public health restrictions, including the capacity for outdoor events being set at 100. You cannot have a rally in Ontario, even outdoors, with more than 100 people. Justin Trudeau was speaking on a uh, restaurant patio surrounded by what media have reported as several hundred people. Some of those were there to heckle him, but still, hundreds and hundreds of people, well over the 100 cap in Ontario. No social distancing, no little bubbles on the ground, no respect for the capacity limits. He's in Alberta, a province that has no restrictions, and he's doing this contrived theatrical social distancing bubble thing where he said, oh, we're only 80 people. And I, I can only think of two possible theories for this, two possible explanations. One is that he's trying to thumb his nose at Jason Kenney, trying to say, oh, yeah, Jason Kenney may have reopened, but the liberals go above and beyond. The liberals go above and beyond in, in taking all of these extra, extra precautions, in which case, why were you not doing it in Coburg? Why were you not doing it in Ontario, which actually has restrictions in place? And the other part of this is just that they couldn't get more than 80 people. So they figured, all right, what's a good way of masking a really small crowd in Calgary? And Trudeau did this in 2019 as well. He landed in Calgary for like an hour just so that he could say, oh, I've come to Alberta, but then he like, you know, hightails 
sells it back on the plane and gets out of Dodge, I think to Manitoba this morning, although don't, uh, don't actually do quote me on that because I'm 99% sure it is Manitoba. So he was doing this little rally in, in Alberta just to say he was there and then touting the great momentum and great energy of the ADP. Maybe they were 80 really energetic people. So in any case, but I will say when you see these types of events, it's rallies do work. And this is why my cautionary tale to the conservatives, don't spend the entire campaign locked up in that studio in Ottawa. I know O'Toole's been doing a bit of touring. He was in, uh, he's in Saskatchewan today. He's also in Manitoba. So Manitoba's getting a lot more action than it's normally used to. But you can't get through to people in the way you can when they all want to take pictures and you get some local energy and local buzz going and all of that. And same as Maxime Bernier. He's doing a road trip. I know he's back doing some campaigning in his Bose riding. Annamie Paul, she's like so desperate to win a seat in Toronto. I don't even think she's planning any campaigning except for maybe heading to Ottawa for the debates. But campaigns do matter. And, and that's why I've made a commitment that I'm not going to like put a pin in a polling result that comes out now and say, all right, this is what's going to happen because how their campaigns are going matters. And the liberals so far, I don't think are performing particularly well. The conservatives seem to be gaining. They haven't really put their foot in their mouth, which is something that is good for them. But at the same time, it's very early days. We've got to move on from this because I do want to spend some time talking about Afghanistan here, which has been one of the bigger election issues just because the election was called in the midst of this crisis, which is both a military and a humanitarian crisis. The Conservatives, a bunch of MPs, or not MPs, rather, candidates, did a press conference the other day in which they talked about their plan, and, and the Conservatives have pushed for the Liberals to suspend their campaign, at least the Liberals who have cabinet portfolios tied to what's happening in Afghanistan. And I wanted to expand on that a bit because Alex Ruff, who is a Canadian Armed Forces veteran himself who served in Afghanistan, had some very interesting thoughts about the mission itself and about where we are as a country. And I wanted to extrapolate on some of those with Alex Ruff, the conservative candidate seeking re-election in Bruce Gray Owen Sound. I was going to say the MP. You're not the MP anymore with Parliament having been dissolved. Alex, good to have you on the show. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Andrew. Now, before serving as a member of parliament, you served in Afghanistan in the Canadian Armed Forces. Uh, just before we get into what's happening now and, and how the government could or, or should be responding, how has it been for you as someone who spent time there as, as part of the coalition, seeing all of this work over the last 20 years just being unraveled in the span of a few weeks? Well, that's a tough question, Andrew, and uh, I've been getting lots of feedback from colleagues of mine and even people still in uniform, and it's tough. It's disappointing. Um, it makes you kind of question sometimes, hey, could I have done something differently? Uh, could the whole coalition have done something differently to address the, the challenges that Afghanistan uh, has faced and now will face going into the future? I, I'm still a bit of a glass half full, not right now with the, you know, sort of the lack of action on getting those Afghans out that need to be uh, brought out and that are fleeing for their lives. But just from the fact that we did, the coalition, Canada in particular, we spent you know the better part of a decade, 15 years there, uh, the coalition writ large, almost 20 years. And we've educated and helped educate a generation. And this is a generational sort of change. That's the, the challenge with any counterinsurgency and the sort of 
full spectrum operations that occur today in today's contemporary operating environment. And if you don't understand that and understand that really ultimately the, the solution for Afghanistan has to come from the Afghans themselves, and that is through a long process, I'm still optimistic. There's a whole generation that now realize that they can have more. And ultimately, you never know, one of those young girls that was educated and got educated due to the impact and influence that we had historically, uh, us as Canadian, as Canadians and as the coalition, I think that there is a potential there that maybe one of them will be, you know, back down the road to future prime minister of Afghanistan and that the country eventually will come out of this. But unfortunately, right now they are going through some very tough days. And I think, you know, we now have to do our part in particular to help those that helped us when we needed help to, to you know, help them. And you are right to point out there are two aspects of this. There's the what do we do long term about the Taliban. We know that uh, we've been down this road in, in part before with the Taliban running the show and, and then being uh, ousted and, and having a democratic government replace it. And, and then there's also the here and now. Uh, and those images of people just, you know, clinging on to the uh, wheel of an airplane taking off and falling, I think will be burned into all of our memories for, for generations to come. You mentioned the, the Afghans that helped Canada. And I, I'm, I'm having trouble with this because Justin Trudeau has said that the government's on top of it. They're all getting ex, they're all getting uh, evacuated from the region. I mean, what's the breakdown here? What isn't happening that we're being told is happening? Well, so part of the challenge is, is, you know, the lack of transparency and just how much information is being put out there, because what we're hearing from people and colleagues and connections right into Afghanistan is that they have no way to communicate um, and get their names. And there's lists and there's names of people uh, that and Afghans on the ground and Canadian citizens. I know of Canadian citizens that are on the ground there that are hunkered down and having that same problem of getting in contact with the appropriate Canadian authorities, with the embassy etc so that they can actually find their way and get to that safe location and link up to get evacuated i know the government does have stuff ongoing uh, but the problem right now is that lack of communication and that ability to get that clarity and information to those on the ground that need to get out and you know this is right goes back to last week when they made that announcement i was happy to hear that they're planning on getting twenty thousand afghans out and i think trudeau's even mentioned up to 21,000 now, but I raised this concern over a month ago uh, in the public through a statement, through uh, a, you know, a letter to a national uh, paper saying, look, you have a very short window to do this. Anybody that saw this coming knew that you only have a couple weeks uh, and now we're the Taliban have capitalized on the U.S. withdrawal. They're now in Kabul. They've successfully seized so many of the key crossing and border points. So it's going to require even more effort now to get these people out than if they if we would have taken action sooner. This may be a difficult question to answer, but I'm curious at what point you think that window closes and it becomes too risky to uh, put Canadian soldiers over there. I, I know they're very well trained. I, I know that the U.S. is still controlling the airport for the time being. But but at what point is it too risky to do all of these things we need to do? I can't honestly answer that without access to, you know, what I would have had when I was still in uniform, you know, the intelligence sources, the information on the ground. But ultimately, I think that the final deadline is September 11th. That's what, from what I understand, the U.S. has indicated that they intend to have every one of their forces out of Afghanistan. So it's tied to our coalition partners. It's tied to our allies. 
and what they can do. But ultimately, our Canadian Armed Forces are well trained, as you mentioned. We they are prepared to do this. And ultimately, you don't make any decision uh, from a foreign policy or a national defense perspective uh, without some level of risk. But every soldier, sailor, air crew in the Canadian Armed Forces knows that. We signed up for that. It's a voluntary military here in Canada. And we knew right from the, you know, that's what makes uh, our service personnel unique is they, they're willing to make that supreme sacrifice if they have to, to do the right thing and what our government decides to do for us uh, as military personnel. So ultimately, uh, I can't speak to the exact timeline. I just know that window is closing very, very quickly. And the Taliban aren't an organization. They're a terrorist group that will not respect the rules of law and the international rules of law. They're not afraid. They're killing people. They'll hunt them down and commit terrible crimes if we don't get these people out immediately. Obviously, it's the U.S. that's driving the withdrawal and the U.S. withdrawal that, that's triggered a lot of this. But but I'm curious where you think Canada could have played a role, if it could have, in, in mitigating some of the damage up until now. You mean with respect to getting these people out? Yes. Yeah, well, so as soon as the U.S. had indicated that withdrawal was coming months ago, I can't remember whether it was February, March, or when they had indicated under President Biden that they were going to do this, that's when the government should have clued in right up, right off the get-go because we have phenomenal planners. I've worked in our Canadian Joint Operations Command in the planning team there. They, they, they could have spun this up in no time flat and started putting these programs in place to help getting these people out because, um, you know, it just, you should have, we were tied to that September 11th deadline. So they should have been able to, hey, here's the drop dead date. What's their background? What are those triggers in a planning process that go, oh, geez, Taliban have now seized this. All right, well, this speeds up the timeline. So the planning could have all been easily done if the will was there, but ultimately, Canadian Armed Forces follows the direction that they get from our elected officials. We have, it's up to the government to provide that direction, and then the military will provide options. I, I don't like politicizing something that should be a, a very unified issue, and I, and I believe that, genuinely speaking, liberal uh, candidates, conservative candidates, NDP candidates all want what's best for Canadians and, and Afghans here. But I do have to question a about the, the amount of attention that's being given to this because we have Justin Trudeau on the campaign trail. I know the, the acting chief of the defense staff is also in Hawaii for a uh, conference with other uh, chiefs of the defense staff this week. Have you gotten the sense that this is being made made a priority by some part of the government or some part of the armed forces? I can't speak for the armed forces, obviously. I'm not in, a, and I try, especially right now and everything going on, I don't want to put any of their, you know, for my personal connections at risk for, for anything that's politically uh, tied. But I mean, it's no different than the statement that myself and Michael Chong put out the other day, you know, saying, look, the, the minister of National defense, immigration, foreign affairs, uh, they should all be, you know, stopping, ceasing their campaigning right now and focused on getting, making sure their efforts done on this, uh, you know, and getting this out. And I mean, I think that is the only real political consideration is when this crisis became so evident, you know, in the last couple of weeks, uh, it does question why the prime minister, why Trudeau decided to call an election when I think personally he could have held off on that decision if he was still set on calling this 
this election, that's fine and dandy, but at least get this piece of it done first and foremost to make sure that guidance was going out there and that the focus by the ministers was on dealing with this international humanitarian crisis that, to me, is more important than any election. Canadians aren't going to remember uh, who won or lost an election necessarily, or that you know that MP themselves or that candidate as much as they're going to remember whether whether they did the right thing or not in helping prevent this crisis. And right now, uh, the, you know these ministers have that ability to influence this and focus on this more than just getting reelected. Alex Ruff, Conservative candidate for Bruce Gray Owen Sound. Thanks very much for your time. Thank you, Andrew. That was Canadian Armed Forces Afghanistan veteran and conservative candidate in Bruce Gray, Owen Sound, Alex Ruff. My thanks to Alex for coming on the show. We will have lots of different candidates from different parties in the shows to come over the next few weeks. So fear not, we will hopefully get to uh, some of those who have unique stories or unique angles on issues. We obviously aren't able to cover every candidate from every party in each of the 338 ridings, but we want candidates of interest, ridings of interest, and issues of interest where uh, a candidate has some expertise to speak on it, like in the case of Alex Ruff and Afghanistan. We will have plenty more next week when the Andrew Lawton Show returns as the campaign continues. My thanks to you all for tuning in. This is Canada's most irreverent talk show. Thank you, God bless, and good day to you all. Thanks for listening to the Andrew Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news. <laughs>